on the other side of that, what do you say to those people that say, no, nah, it's not a cult? That's a different, there, there, there are layered responses to that. Because when I'm like, who is saying it? Is it someone that has had the experience, is still in that experience, or someone who's hearing about the experience? Because my response will be slightly different. Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. My name is Aldo Martin. And I'm Cousin Eddie. And together, we're going to explore what it's like to be in and leave a religious cult. For more info on the Reclamation Podcast, or to tell your story, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Aldo B. Martin. But all of it came at a cost, right? Yeah. But, but now let me ask you this then. Let me ask you this. So... You, you guys didn't discuss it, but it was obviously like the white elephant in the room. Yeah, very mm-hmm. much so. A couple of years later, you left. Yes. I like to say that you were a member for five years. You say three, but okay. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, there was some time in there. Yeah. <laughs> there was some time. <laughs> so then uh, um, a couple of years later, you leave the church. Mm-hmm. What was the response from your family then, if there was one? Because there was no real discussion or conversations or fallouts or challenges, right, during my whole tenure (laughs) um, in this organization, the leaving was just similar to how I left the church, that fade to black. It was the same thing, like, oh, do you go to church anymore? No. I don't. And that was it. Because again, like, even though like, you know, family gatherings, there will always be like a long prayer or several people would pray or you would be asked like it was an honor to be asked to do these things in a family. During my whole time, I was never asked to do that. You talk about like pray for the the food or pray pray for for the food. Mm -hmm. But, you know, pray for the food. Like we used to have dinners, family dinners every Sunday. Um, Growing up and then all of the holidays, I would be going back to to, to the home uh, for breaks and Thanksgiving and the winter holidays. And all of the family would come. Right. And so the tradition is like we have a hymnal <laughs> and at least two or three members of the family will be praying. Right. You said that, you said that, you said a, you said a hymn note. Hymnal, uh, a hymn. We would sing. We would sing a gospel song out of the, the book of hymns. It's <laughs> what you would do. Right. Again, I'm telling you, we had the pastors and the preachers and the choir directors, the organ player. Like we had the choir in the family. And so it was a place of honor. It was a place of, of respect and admiration if you were asked to be one of the members of the family that prayed over the meal. It was also like, you know, a rite of passage. Like you grow now if you get to like one of the younger <laughs> family members get to pray. I was never... Mm. Asked. It was. It, it seemed like it was never a consideration. So it's, it was a white elephant, but also cautiously held. Like, like not even cautiously held. Like not really validated. Like my faith or my understanding of the Bible, my prayer life was even acknowledged. acknowledged um, yeah. So it was just kind of invisible. And so when I left, it, because it's invisible, I don't go to church anymore. Okay, nothing changed in my behavior. It's like I was still, you know, getting my doctoral degree and we weren't going to stop at that. Like we got things to do. And so 
um, it just never became a topic of conversation except for when um, I would be asked to go to church and I would say no. After I left, asked to go to church to my sister's church or when I would just feel so uncomfortable, similar to what we talked about in the reunion show, like there's an allergy now, right? And I was still like struggling through that, that what was so ingrained in my mind, like any church I go to is not the true church. And I would look for how it wasn't the true church, right? I would look for, oh, there's that, you know, building fund and they're passing the plate again or the selling blessings. Like there'd be so much criticism because of what I had learned to do in this organization. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because, um, um, you know, the the effects that these things have on our families or our relationship with our families is a real thing. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have experienced it in um, in different ways. What about your friends? Will they stand their ground? Oh, no. Will they let you down? <laughs> hey, yay. <laughs> he said, hey, yay. Hey, yay. <laughs> Too funny. Um, you know, I had a similar experience uh, with you, actually. But I, okay, so I had just moved to New York to go to school. So brand yeah. new culture shock. And it just so happened that during the orientation week, I just got connected with these four other Black women that were also, you know, starting it up. The majority of us were in the same program. Now, outside of like the studying and whatnot, because we were all very studious people, right? Like we all got into NYU. So what we would do to to just have fun is that we love to go out dancing, right? All of us are still underage, but in in lower Manhattan, around the school, they would have these um, school nights, not school nights, but basically um, nobody had class on, on Friday. So there was this one club called Rio Dijos, right? That would have free entry before 10 p.m. And we would go there and just dance and dance and dance. Not with people, not up on nobody, but we would just be dancing. And so we would do that. That was, that was we call ourselves the posse. Like we would just click up <laughs> like that. Now, when I started studying the Bible, right? That I had to drift away. Like I tried to let them know, but I also drifted away from them. And the things that we would do. But I remember <laughs> after I was baptized, like I was still wanting to go out and dance and party with them, right? And we were going to the limelight. I don't know if y'all remember the limelight. I don't know if it's still around. Look at, at you. That point. Look at you. Look at young Dr. Melton acting like uh acting like uh, Eddie Murphy's girlfriend. Party all the time, party all the time. <laughs> Like we had so much fun. Ludacris had just come out at that point. And we would be walking back to campus from Astor Square, the subway station, seeing Ludacris at the top of our lungs, not caring. Talking about, I want to lick, 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 lick you from your head. Hey, hey, hey. We got kids listening. You got to chill. And see, this is how I was. And it was so much fun with these women. Because they were powerful and brilliant. And we would have fun. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, it's look, look, y'all don't know. Yeah, we we don't know. We ain't we ain't ready. You are ready? Come no. on now. It's season two, y'all gotta be ready now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right now. All right now. Um, 
after I was baptized, I, I didn't get that I wasn't allowed to go to clubs anymore. Right now, in my mind, I was like, it's not an issue. I'm not doing drugs. I'm not drinking. I'm not dancing up. I'm not having people dance up on me because I wasn't comfortable with that. We would go and do the whole middle school. The girls stand in a circle and we would just dance. You know, um, you, you call it the middle school thing, but that thing never goes away. <laughs> that never goes away. That that girls dancing in a circle. Now women dancing in a circle. That never goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Well, the, my middle school training then. Like, that was so, <laughs> so we went to the limelight. But as I was getting ready, like my discipler was trying to tell me, like, you shouldn't go. But they didn't like say we forbid you to go. And so I was like, I'm going to go because I wasn't like, I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm just going to dance. And so <laughs> I put on this outfit that was like a sweater. And I was like, is this okay? No, yes, yes. Don't don't take anything off. That That's fine. Like, it was just a funny conversation looking back on it. And I didn't get that it was such a problem. Yeah. Afterwards, you better believe I sat down. I think that may have been the, the one time that I was discipled more punitively. <laughs> it's after I went to the limelight. Rebuked? Uh, that one time. You got rebuked? I got rebuked. Yeah. This is like a week or two weeks after being baptized. I was like, what's the big deal? These are my girls. And so, you know, since then I had already, you know, we had already talked about those who were staying in the dorms of, of the four of us that were staying in the dorms. We had decided to be roommates and I had to tell them I can't, I have to room with a disciple. And so that's when the drift started to happen. Um, they didn't necessarily question it. Um, they also didn't really understand it, but I ghosted, I disappeared until my senior year. This is after the Henry Creek letter. And I started to connect with them a little bit more because I wanted to enjoy my senior year with people that have been through the process that could go to the senior banquet that they had. Right. I wasn't trying to like other folks couldn't go with me because it was just it was us. You know what I mean? And a lot of people had left at that point. So anyway, I left. We all graduated. We kind of stayed loosely in contact. And it wasn't until my mother passed that, you know, we would have like little emails or whatnot going back and forth. But when I let them know that my mother passed, you know, all of them flew out to Arizona to check up on me, to take care of me, sent flowers for the the funeral, didn't know what happened to my mother or, or anything like that. They just came. And so, you know, in, in the, the reunion, Christina talked about bonds being formed. And that is another example of I really the bonds were there, even though I I drifted away and abandoned some friendships like they were true to this day. They're still true. And they bad. Let me tell you, like they they're doing the damn thing. okay? and so I'm very grateful to still have them in my life, even though. Right. I ghosted them. I had no idea about that story. That's um, <clears throat> I'm impressed because there was a um, there was a friend of mine who uh, who I baptized, and I had left the church. I was out the church already, but he was still in it. <clears throat> and I remember his dad passed away, mm-hmm. and you know, I went to the funeral. Now it was in New York, so it wasn't like I had to travel or anything. So I wasn't doing anything noble. I think I was just doing you know what was um. 
you know, what was required, right? Mm. And uh, I went to the funeral and um, there were no church people there. Mm. And that that uh, that had an impact on him. Mm. And he was like, so kudos to these women, yeah. whomever they are. I hope that they're listening to this program and I want them to know <laughs> that I am indeed a fan, even though I have never met them. You know what I'm saying? Party all the time. Party all the time. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) One of the... The word that you used to describe the organization uh, when we first spoke uh, on this podcast about 12 years ago, um, you used the word pseudo-cult. And in speaking with many people, people are uh, regarding this topic, you know, people seem to be, they run the gamut of where they stand on that. Before I ask you where you stand with it, if, if your position is, has, has changed or not, what do you say to the people who call this organization a cult? What do you say to that? Or to them? I believe you. Tell me more. What have you experienced? What has it meant to you? What has been the impact? Why is that your response? That it is important to take a humble stance when people share about their experience. I believe that whether it is reality-based, whether it is a perception that when you show up for people, you're believing their experience and that my judgment has no bearing on their truth. I take a dialectical approach, dialectic meaning two seemingly opposing ideas, experiences can be true at the same time. And because of that, I would never engage with someone to have them prove to me mm. that what their experience is, is their experience. On the other side of that, what do you say to those people that say, no, nah, it's not a cult? That's a different, they're, they're, they're layered responses to that. Because when I'm like, who is saying it? Is it someone that has had the experience, is still in that experience, or someone who's hearing about the experience? Because my response will be slightly different. So what would it be for, for, for the person who's, who's had the experience and says it's not? I would say, okay, that's not your experience. Tell me more. How do you see that it has not been? In what ways does that not fit for you? And that can lead to other conversations about, you know, the impact on their life and so on and so forth. I'll share my experience is not the same. Here's why the dialectic. What do you say to the person who was not involved and says, no, it's not a cult? I would ask him, well, what is a cult? Because I do believe that that word carries so much stigma around it. It is an emotionally latent word. Indeed. And then people have their own reactions to it. That's about them, like how they locate themselves in this idea of their cults in the world. Oh, I would never right? Get into something like that. Or I could see it a mile away. Can't nobody fool me. If that's the stance, okay. I ain't got to prove nothing to you either. 
I've been in it. I've had these experiences. Your belief or validation or approval does not matter. So if that's that perspective they're coming from, like, we don't have to agree. Yeah. But can you bear witness to what my experience is? How do you if mean that's bear, your relationship? How, mm-hmm. how do you mean bear witness? Can you hear me? Hear my experience and believe me that this is my experience. Even if you have your own judgments and ideas and, and ways of thinking or problem solving of how you should have gotten out of it. Can you just hear me and believe me, hold space for me with empathy? If you can do that, we cool. If you can't, we cool and we don't have to communicate anymore. Like we, we don't. When we last spoke or when we first spoke, excuse me, like I said earlier, our perspective was just from our point of view right with no other context or really hearing other people's stories in depth right and and when we first spoke you used the word pseudo cult and and I thought that was a and I felt comfortable with that word because even in the beginning stages of this I was still I was I was I was doing double dutch with the cult word you know like I'm in I'm out I'm in I'm out and some days I was yeah it's a cult some days I'm like oh no so after hearing people speak and, and hearing other people on the program, where are you with the word? Are you still where you were before with it, or is it different? I mean, I started with it being a pseudo cult for some of the experiences that were related to the tactics and the ways of, of engaging in the rules and whatnot. Um, with hearing other people's stories and experiences. Uh, that may have been in leadership or other like more hurtful experiences. I'm like, hmm, that does sound closer to a cult. I come back to overall, it's still a pseudo cult for me. Yeah. And can you describe what that word means? Cult adjacent. Cult adjacent. Cult adjacent. <laughs> so if we were to put it on a continuum, right, where you have like the extreme Heaven's Gate, uh, Jim Jones, Manson on one end and you have, I don't know, on the other end, the opposite of all of that, right? Um, No, just like kind of going to church, like you're just a member of a church, but you don't really have to attend or anything like that. Nobody's really calling you or checking on you, but you can go if you want to or not. Like that's the other end of the continuum. I believe pseudo cult is a bit closer, a little bit past the halfway mark, moving towards the the extreme with the the Jim (laughs) Jones Charles Manson, Heaven's Gate, yeah. so on and so forth, right? Yeah. And so it 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 was just extreme enough to be attractive and holding a no, a, a large number of people, hmm. but not to the extent of you know uh, mass suicide. Understood. Understood. I have one final question for you. You joined the church. Mm-hmm. As Shelly from Detroit. <laughs> Way back in the day. Way back in the day. Listen, people. Listen, listen, man. I, I call her Dr. Melton because that is that is her earned name and she deserves yes. uh she deserves the respect on that. 
but once upon a time on my name all right was that was that respect on my name hey we did we did we did the whole time we did the whole time listen you did you did i'm just saying man i said to myself sometimes like listen we good out here we good out here wake up and remember who you are no question listen when I talk to people, it, it makes me feel good when, 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 when I'm speaking with people and they quote the show and they say, you know, when Dr. Melton said the full range of humanity, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, you know what? I know her. I, I know her. The doctor is in. The doctor is in. Mm-hmm. I know I know her. But before you were Dr. Melton, I knew you as Shelly from Detroit. And this young girl who came to New York to, you know, try to make it happen for herself. And you're speaking with us today, as we said, as Dr. Melton, right? A clinical psychologist. And wait a minute, college professor. <laughs> oh, you, you didn't think I was going to tell him that, huh? I think you was. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I did. All right. <laughs> okay. So you speak with us today as that. I, I would like for you to imagine, if you would, that in some strange way, Dr. Melton meets Shelly from Detroit. What would Dr. Melton tell Shelly from Detroit? Although that is a powerful question. I'm even kind of tearing up a bit, just imagining that. Well, yeah, I'm I am tearing up and getting a bit choked up. So I'm gonna try and talk through how powerful that question is. Or not. I'm just going to let it pass. <laughs> just give me a moment. <laughs> hey, Elena, so you want to know? I mean, I would tell her, you all right, girl? Well, all right. You are enough. Just show up. You are enough. You got this. Next time on The Reclamation. Or this is wrong, or this is not what God intended, or this is not, you know, it wasn't one day. It was a process of many different things happening to get me to the point where I could leave. But I knew emphatically that to leave the church was to leave all those relationships. You were not the typical average member. No. No. And your podcast keeps your podcast keeps reminding me of that. I'm the they. I, I'm the other. I'm the leader. <laughs> so so Christy was one of the leaders of the organization. 